If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 19 this morning, and as you're turning there, as you can see, we have the elements of communion before us, the Lord's Supper, an opportunity for those of us who know the Lord, those of us who love the Lord, those of us who have personally accepted Jesus Christ into our own hearts as our personal Lord and Savior. It's a time when we come and remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us on Calvary's cross. His sacrifice that was made for our sin. And the passage that we find ourselves studying this morning as we pick up the first 16 verses of John chapter 19, there's no better setup to come to the communion table in all of scripture than these 16 verses. And when I say that, as we look at these verses, we're, we're tempted as human beings to say, well, that was then and this is now. That was the Jewish people and that was the Romans. That was a crowd that had come into Jerusalem for Passover. That was a bunch of zealots. That was a whole bunch of people who really had grown to hate Jesus. But in fact, this passage is really about you and me. It's actually about us. It's really our life story because without Christ, we're all still dead in our trespasses and sins. Without the Lord's redemption, the purchase made by his blood through his broken body, we would all still be dead in our trespasses and sins. But because he died and because he shed his blood, because he made himself who knew no sin to become sin for us, because Christ became sin for you, you can now have the righteousness of God. That's what we celebrate at the communion table. When we come to the table, we're celebrating his broken body and his shed blood the very elements that signify to us that the price has been paid for my sin. And so I would ask you even now to begin to prepare your heart. Uh, If you came today and you've never made a personal profession of faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord, if you will believe on him, you will be saved. Him is Jesus. His sinless life lived He was condemned. We're going to see that. He's going to be put to death for you. If you'll believe that he was killed in your place, he paid the price for your sin, and he will forgive you of your sin by applying his righteousness to you. If you'll believe in him, then feel free as we come to the communion table to receive the communion elements. But if you choose not to, please allow them to pass you by. Because for us who love the Lord and for heaven itself, these elements represent to us the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. It is a serious thing. So much so that the Apostle Paul would even warn us not to partake in an unworthy manner because it is a very, very, very serious thing to do. So please, we invite you to receive Christ today. And we'll give you an opportunity right before we partake to do that. But as we pick up in verse 1, we have a picture 
of a very long-suffering king. You see, sometimes we're, we're tempted to look at the world that we're in and, you know, say maybe the United States of America is kind of the de facto ruler of the world. We're the most powerful nation on earth. Some would maybe debate that, but it's really not debatable. But even if you were to take Russia and China and the United States and join us together, um, we're still not the ruler of this age. We still have a king, and that king is one day coming back to receive his kingdom. Make no mistake, Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That king, that Lord of lords, is standing before his own created being, whose name is Pilate, while Pilate tries to get the Jewish religious leadership in the crowd to let Jesus go. But the crowd, and this is the important part for you today, the, ca- the crowd says, we don't want this man. That is still the choice for every soul that will ever walk on this planet to this day. You have to choose whether you want the king or you don't want the king. That's on you. Jesus has made the sacrifice sufficient for all, but it's up to you to receive that sacrifice for you. You see, you were in the crowd. You may not remember the event, but your sin placed you in the same category as the Jewish religious leaders, as the Romans, and as the crowd who went along with the plan, even though they didn't understand it. And so would you join me? Let's pray. And we'll pick up here in verse 1 of chapter 19 of John's Gospel. Father, we have come on a day when we'll celebrate, we will do in remembrance of your son Jesus. We'll remember what he did for us at the cross. And Lord, we pray as we study this, your word, Lord, authored by the power of the Holy Spirit through holy men of old who wrote, Lord, would you bring us truth? Would you give us sense and meaning? Help us to understand, Lord, most importantly, to obey to make that decision ourselves to follow you. Lord, never let us join the crowd who rejects, but be a part of the one who receives. And so, Lord, we bless you and ask that you would now bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 19. And so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, And they put on him a purple robe and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They struck him with their hands. And I want you, each time you see they, to just simply imagine you in the crowd because realistically you did. You may think this morning you weren't there, you didn't have any responsibility, but by default, because all have sinned, amen? Romans 3.23 is very clear. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So every one of us was there in that sense. And then Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And you see this repetition in the life of Pilate. He's convinced, he's convicted, he knows absolutely 
that Jesus is innocent, but this is the problem with the mob mentality. This is the problem with following the crowd. This is the problem with poor exegesis. This is the problem with not understanding the fullness of the scriptures. This is the problem of selectively choosing what parts of the Bible you want to read and even worse yet, which ones you want to follow. This is the problem. Because you can begin to make your own path to God. You can kind of find your own way that suits your own personality and you can reject the only path, the only way, the only truth, the only life that can come to you and that is through Jesus Christ, God's own son. And so the crowd is saying, we don't want this man. We don't want Jesus. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take him, crucify him, for I find no fault in him. I want no part of this. And Jesus, standing there, you can almost imagine what's going through his heart and his mind. And while at one sense he knows what's about to happen In the other sense, you can almost see a smile beginning to come from his face because for this reason he came into the world. This was always the plan. Jesus came very specifically to give his life a ransom for you and for me and for the very crowd that's shouting that they want him killed. If you've ever questioned the love of God, All you need to do is look at this passage and maybe ask yourself a few questions. What would you have done if you had unlimited, unbridled power, the same power that created the heavens and the earth was resident in Jesus Christ, God's own son, at that very moment? And yet he stands before Pilate, whom he created, before a mob whom he knew every thought that they were thinking. He knew why they were thinking them. He could have stopped them. He could have ended the proceedings instantaneously by a word of his mouth. And yet he took every stripe. He took every blow. He took being spat on. He took having his beard plucked. He took the crown, he took the robe, he took the rod in his hand and will march to Golgotha to give his life a ransom for many. And the Jews answered him, we have a law and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now Jesus was the son of God. He didn't make himself anything. It's who he was. It's who he remains to this day. What would you have said to the accusers if you were Jesus? You want to see the long-suffering of the king? Think about these things. Would you still love your Jewish brothers and sisters, your family that you were born into, given what they're doing to him? Would you have still continued to go to the cross Knowing what you now know. 
on one hand, it's almost painful to think on. On the other hand, we have to rejoice because that grace being poured out on them was being poured out on you. That mercy that was being shown to them is being shown to you right now, today. You see, the truth is, you and me and the angry mob were all in it together. You may have not ever thought of it that way, but it is nonetheless true. Because really, who in their right mind is going to choose Barabbas, a robber, a murderer, a man who legitimately deserved to die? But the crowd does that. The crowd chooses sin. The the crowd looks at the darkness and says, I'll have some of that. They look at the light and say, no, I I really don't want to see. Because as Jesus said, my deeds are evil and I don't want anyone to know that. You see, this crowd really is a picture of us. Your sin, my sin. A beautiful picture of this is actually found in, in, the, in the writings of the prophet Isaiah. It begins actually in chapter 52, the last several verses there, and continues through all of chapter 53. But as you were reading those verses, surely he has borne our griefs. And several things in there. We hid as our face, as it were, from him. He was despised. Ultimately, the chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. He's borne our griefs. He's taken up our sorrow. We see him really as our substitute. As you want to look at the whole of that message, Jesus bore your sins, not his own. He took the things that you need to be punished for and said, I'll take those. The things that I should perish eternally for, I'll take Jeff's sin. Father God, you give Jeff my righteousness. I'll take his sin. That's what's going on in this trial. He's basically saying, give it to me. All of it. Every last bit of it. Put the full weight on me. And in the meantime, the Father in heaven is looking down at the Son as his Son is mocked, as his Son is scourged. And as you look at these things, I want you to notice, as you read through the accounts in all the Gospels, each group of people has a hand in condemning Jesus. You've got Annas, you've got Caiaphas, You've got the Roman crowd, the Roman soldiers. You've got the Roman mob, the Roman citizens. You've got the Jewish citizens, the Jewish mob. You've got the Jewish religious leadership. And by the time you get to Matthew's gospel, the writer of Matthew's gospel, Matthew says, and the others. And when you get there to that passage in Matthew's gospel, circle the others and write your name next to it. It just simply says, and everybody else too. Everybody had a hand. You slapped Jesus in the face the first time you sinned as a child. You forced that crown on his head because you needed to be redeemed, and so did I. 
And praise God, his grace is sufficient for every last person in this room and all who have ever lived. Amen? So personalize this passage. That costume that Jesus wore, you put on him. You draped that robe on Jesus. And so did I. I made it necessary. In light of all that, we all at that moment in time became the all of Romans 3.23. And the, the text here in the Greek language says that these things just kept happening to Jesus. Repeatedly beaten, repeatedly mocked, repeatedly humiliated, just humiliation after humiliation and mocking after mocking. It's just like, some king you are. You know, when you're unwilling to come to the table of grace, you're saying the same thing. Some king you are. I want a king who's going to change the financial environment. I I want a king who's going to change the political environment. I want a king who's going to change the health. No, the one thing that every last one of us needs is a king who will change the destiny from hell to heaven. That's what we need. That's why Jesus said, what profits it a man if he were to gain the entire world and lose his own soul? There should be nothing in this universe that you would trade for the King of Kings, the long-suffering one. We were talking back behind the, the stage earlier this morning. And while I joke about this sometimes... It has nonetheless become very, very true for me personally. It's like, like, Lord, I can't wait to get home to heaven. You know, please don't let me live to be 95 years old. And if you're that old and you're here today, I'm sorry, but I want to go home to be with Jesus. You know, so that's what Christ did. That's what Christ did. He made that possible. Because you could have a yacht. You can have homes all over the globe. You can travel endlessly. But none of those things will matter when you take your last breath. None of them. There will be one thing that you will long for the moment you take your last breath. And that is grace to save you. That's it. And he's either going to say, welcome, come on into my kingdom of rest, or depart, I've never known you. That's the choice. But Jesus is making it possible for everyone to believe. That's why he's bruised, that's why he's bloodied, that's why he's beaten. Can you imagine now the question that's asked? Let's pick up in verse 8. And therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. Uh, I'm guessing he was more afraid. And went out again to the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? Can you imagine what's happened to Jesus? And all Pilate can say is, where are you from? And Jesus didn't answer him. 
Can I tell you that God gives generally progressive revelation and if you don't do anything with what you know, you can pretty much count on not getting anything else. When you reject the truth over and over again, don't expect God to continue to give you that same truth if you won't deal with the truth you already have. Pilate already knew. It's very clear that Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent and he with one word can set Jesus free. But for political expedience to play to the crowd, to be part of the mob, Pilate's going to let the unthinkable happen to Jesus. Be careful, because you can be tempted the same way. And then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you, the power to release you? Check out the answer that Jesus gives. He's not speaking in his own defense. He utters not one single word to defend himself, but notice what he says to Pilate. Pilate, bud, dude, you could have no power at all against me unless I had given it to you. It had been given it to you from above. And therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. In other words, if I wanted to, I could take you out right now. If my father weren't restraining his hand at this very moment, you would be dead. You don't have any power, but that power which has been given to you by my father. And when he says you're done, you're done. There's a lot of little interjections you could make here. And almost every one of them would be at least factually accurate. Pilate was actually not in control. Pilate thought he was in control. At the end of the day, there's a sovereign God who sits on the throne of heaven who governs all things. And it is he who's in control. You can see the fear that's in verse 8, in verse 12. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. More power of persuasion through the rule of a mob mentality. Oh, it can't be true. It was on the National Geographic Channel. The Bible's been disproven. Jesus has been disproven. Jesus was married. He had multiple wives. Jesus was gay. And by the way, I've heard every single one of those things spoken to me as if they were truth because somebody saw them on TV. The mob is still crying out, Jesus is not sufficient for me. It is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God and no one can boast about it. You're not saved by knowing facts, you're saved by knowing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That happens by faith. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judgment seat at the Bema in a place that's called the pavement, in Hebrew, the Gabbatha. And now it was preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. 
And they cried out, away with him and crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests, again, look at the power of blindness. We have no king but Caesar. Now something you may have never considered, that is blasphemy. That actually is blasphemy. For the Jewish religious leaders to say we have no king but Caesar was to deny that there was one true God. Because the Jewish God was also king. And so the very thing that they're condemning Jesus for, they themselves publicly admit, we have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered him to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Why did Jesus not answer that question? He didn't need to. He didn't need to defend who he was. Pilate was basically taking his own fate into his own hands. And he's saying, look, I, I don't want you either. You're a problem for me. Brothers and sisters, family of God, people who may be here today who don't know Jesus. Jesus is either your king or he's not your king. He's either your savior or he's not your savior. There's no in-between ground. There's not a middle place that you cannot be partially a Christian. You can't be a Christian in waiting. You can't be an undecided other like we have on our ballots. People often think, well, I'll just wait until, you know, I get down to the end of my life. I've had people look me in the eye, some of my own family. Well, you know, I got too much life in me. I don't want to do this Jesus thing right now because there's an awful lot of things I could do. But if I give my life, I'm going to have to give that up. There is nothing that you will ever surrender in this life that will replace the glories of heaven. You have to make the choice. Because you too are powerless against God. I'm going to ask the communion team to begin to pass out the elements of communion. They're going to begin with the bread and I would again ask that you would simply hold uh, both elements, both the bread and the cup and we'll partake together. But as you receive them, Who is Jesus to you? You could be baptized every single day. And without the blood of Christ, your sin remains. You could read your Bible cover to cover and start over every time you got to the last chapter of the book of Revelation. Go back to Genesis 1 and you could perish and spend eternity separated from God. Because it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. It's have you believed and have you received, have you yourself personally said, Jesus, you are my king. If you have, and I believe that is a large majority of those of us in this room today. If you have, then this supper is very meaningful for us. If you've invited Christ in, 
than the promise of Isaiah, the promise of Peter's words as he points towards Jesus. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, Isaiah said. He opened not his mouth. He he didn't say anything in his own defense. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before the shearer is silent. Jesus did that, not for himself, but for us. He did that for me. You see, if Jesus had made any excuses... If Jesus had answered back the totality of the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah would have been instantaneously null and void. He would not be God. But he didn't answer in his own defense. He gave Pilate a couple of things to chew on, but he didn't defend himself. Because he didn't need to. He was perfectly innocent. And what this passage shows to you and shows to me is the power of our choices. Your choice, my choice, to believe and receive or to reject and perish. Too often I have people come to me, well, I just can't believe it's that narrow. Truth demands narrowness. In case you hadn't noticed, truth is not negotiable. Sometimes people will argue, well, I just can't believe that everyone else is wrong. And they'll usually name some world religions. Jeff, are you, are you telling me that everyone who's a Hindu, if they don't believe in Jesus, is going to perish? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Not because that's what I want, that's what the Bible says. Your choice is to believe it and receive it or to reject it and join the crowd because that's a big crowd. You could throw in there Buddhism. You could throw in there Shintoism. You could throw in there every other path. Every other way is not the way. And while that is an offense to many, it is nonetheless the direct proclamation of Jesus himself. And so if there is another competing truth, both of them cannot be true. That's an impossibility. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die for everyone. I'll do the work. You simply need to believe it and receive it. God died. The power of your choice is to believe that he died for you. That he died for me. From a human standpoint, you could look at the trial of Jesus and it's perhaps the greatest judicial tragedy in the history of mankind. It is probably the most absurd trial that's ever taken place on the the earth in that sense. But from heaven's standpoint, it was exactly what Jesus came to do. It's why he came in the first place. 
The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus suffered and died for you? Have you received that grace? Was his blood shed for you? You see, again, the prophet Isaiah said that his blood was shed for the remission of an interesting word, many. It says, all have sinned. Every one of us has fallen short. But Christ's blood was shed for the many who will believe. Because there are people that still choose to reject Jesus. And I pray if you're here today and you've never received the grace of God by believing in Jesus Christ, your opportunity is right now. You see, you can simply invite Jesus into your heart, ask him to forgive your sin, to cleanse you from your unrighteousness, to take and put his righteousness in the place of your unrighteousness and to make you a child of God by grace, by simply believing that he died for a purpose and that purpose was to save you. You can do that right now by just simply inviting him in. In the quietness of your own heart, for those of us who've already done that, Here's the glory of grace. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are saved because He saved us. You didn't save you, I didn't save me. All of our religious works, the Apostle Paul said, are as filthy rags. There is none righteous in and of yourself, there's none righteous. Not one of us is righteous before God. We can even mess up righteousness with religion. We can make it about what we do for God instead of what Jesus did for us. What Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross was he offered his own life in your place. You see, Jesus chose to suffer. He chose to die. We often use the term that Jesus was murdered, and while that's true in a human sense... It's not true in a divine sense. Jesus came to die. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to have his body broken. He came to shed his blood. He came to suffer long and be kind for you and for me. He came so that we might be saved. He came to fulfill that promise Because for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish. You see, the option is you can perish. Or have everlasting life, the choice is ours. And so as Jesus is about to go to the cross, he really is just simply saying to us, I'll do the dying, Jeff. You can do the living. I'll be the sacrifice you just serve. I'll give what's needed to pay your debt. You enjoy the glories of my kingdom.
if you'd take the bread now. And Jesus on the night, just directly before this time, before he was tried, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said to the disciples, those that knew him and loved him, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus. It was then that Jesus, after supper, the third of the four cups that they would enjoy at a Passover Seder, one still remained, and he said, I'm not going to drink of that one yet. I'll drink of the third cup. Jesus took that cup, and again, when he had supped from it himself, he said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of sin. And as often as you drink of it, drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's drink of the cup. Would you stand and we'll pray together. Lord Jesus, we search for words to tell you what this means to us. Thank you doesn't do it. Praise you doesn't do it. We glorify your name doesn't do it. Our our language cannot express what it means to us to have our sins forgiven that you would be beaten for us, that you would be bruised for us, that you would bleed for us. Lord, is beyond our understanding. But we are very grateful, Lord. We're eternally grateful for your sacrifice made for us. And we truly do remember. We remember the price. We remember what happened to you. And Lord, it some level we have to actually say we're sorry God we're sorry Lord that you had to go through that that you took that beating for us you took that scourging for us that crown you wore for us that robe you put on us of righteousness was purchased with a mock robe that was worn to the cross Thank you for your sacrifice, for your body, and for your blood. Lord, we do remember in Jesus' name. Amen.